Okay, so we started this series called Momentum for Life a few weeks back. The first week was about leadership. And the point, the primary point of that was that all leadership starts with self-leadership, that we really can't take anybody someplace that we're not willing to go or able to go ourselves. So if we're going to start this journey, if we're going to get momentum, faith plus discipline equals momentum for life. If we're going to get momentum, then we have to be willing to lead ourselves so that others will be able to follow. It's the disciples make disciples concept. Last week, we talked about what it means to have undiluted devotion to Jesus Christ. And if you remember Whit Martin, my clergy friend who, who shared about his first child, Laney, and what that meant for him, that level of devotion that he has for her, and that that is how God sees us, only even more so. Today we're going to be talking about a kingdom worldview. We're going to be looking at what it means to have a kingdom worldview. Next week, we're going to talk about living a missional lifestyle. But today is about a kingdom worldview, and our passage is a really, really, really super long one. It's Matthew 6.10. Here, read it with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yep, that's it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You notice that it's not just about heaven, right? That we are to be living a kingdom-focused life on earth. Jesus came to bring the kingdom with him, and he brought the kingdom with him, and that's what we as his followers are to do in our worlds and in our lives. We're to be kingdom-focused men and women. So there's four points this morning. Um, here are the four points. I hope there's more, actually, than, than, than this, but here's four primary things about a disciple, what, a disciple with a kingdom worldview. Number one is they must know what they value. Uh, a disciple must know what they value, what they hold dear, what their priority is. Uh, a disciple has a kingdom worldview, and we're going to talk about different worldviews, but a kingdom worldview is basically a Christian worldview, and you'll, we'll talk about that more. Uh, the third is a worldview is defined by, their, by your actions and not your words. And the fourth is that if God is your co-pilot, get out of his seat. Because God is not to be a co-pilot. God is to be a pilot. All right, so worldview. Mike Slaughter is the writer of Momentum for Life, and uh, he defines a worldview um, in this way. A worldview is a set of fundamental beliefs that determines your primary life values, decisions, and actions. Your worldview has more to do with your values than your religion, and I think that's important to know, is, is that what we value Hopefully it's influenced by our, by our faith in Christ, but it's about what we value is, is what will drive our worldview. And in order to be better disciples, because that's what we want to be, we want to be better disciples, then we, we need to know not just what we believe, but what we value. What do we actually hold dear? Not just what we say we hold dear, but what do we actually hold dear in our life? There's a big difference between believing something in our head, right, and knowing it, in our heart and living it out in our life. Belief is wonderful, but if it goes nowhere, is it really belief? Hmm, things that make you go, hmm. So Mike Slaughter, he, and, and there are lots of stuff that, books out there and information about worldviews. We're going to use Slaughter's definition because, you know, we're using his book. I figured that'd be a good, good way to go about it. Um, so he, he identifies four primary worldviews that are important for us in the Christian walk. One, the first is a secular worldview. 
Secular, folks with a secular worldview are skeptical of anything supernatural. That kind of makes sense. Their focus is on the tangible things. They may actually believe in a higher power of sorts, but they live their lives within the confines of human logic. What makes sense? What is it that makes sense to me? And what can I see? What can I put my hands on? That's where uh, someone with a secular worldview is going to live. They make clear distinctions between secular and sacred. You know, that's why an atheist is over here saying no, and, and a theist is saying yes, and secular folks go, you're over there and we're over here. We're not going to get together. Now, they don't usually come to church. They sometimes come to church, but if they do, it's an intellectual exercise. They want to hear about what church is. Why are those crazy people believing in the imaginary God that doesn't really exist because I can't put my hands around him. So that's what a secular worldview is. Now, a soft secular worldview is the second one we're going to look at, and this is actually the predominant worldview in churches, unfortunately. These folks believe in God and have a faith identity, but God is not their first priority, or certainly God is not their passion. They live in both spheres. They live in the sacred and the secular. They can bring those together. But when, when, when pressed for time or when push comes to shove, they go towards the material world or towards the secular things. They don't gravitate in, into their faith. They, they go towards the world. They make what you could call religious donations rather than life sacrifices. They'll give as long as it's not sacrificial. As long as I can still do my stuff in the world, I'll participate with you in the church. I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. Just don't ask me to do anything with that of substance. That's going to that's gonna hurt me. That's the predominant worldview in my era of the baby boomer churches. It's somewhat materialistic because uh, that's where the, our faith is put in material possessions rather than trusting God's promise of provision. The next one is called post-secular, and this is for the younger than, than us group. Th these are guys that are under 40. They're open to the supernatural, but they're, they have a bias towards individualism. And it's a kind of individualism that leads to, leads to what's called relativism. What it means is that all truth is truth. It's all relative. You know, I have my truth, and you have your truth, and, and that's okay. You can be you, and I can be me, and, and that's where they live. This is another group that, that will try to bring Jesus into their world. The soft secular folks grab Jesus and say, okay, where can I fit Jesus into my world? Instead of being transformed by, by him into his world. And this is another group that does that. The post-secular folks, they try to, I believe in Jesus, so how do I fit him into soccer practice and all the other, you know, and, and, and I've got job and I've got work and I, you know, I really like my house and I've got all the, you know, I've got career goals and I, I've got a lot going on. How do I fit Jesus into my world? That's what soft secular and post secular people are about. And that's a tough thing because there's a lot of pulls from the world, right? They want to pull you away from Christ and get you focused on what's going on outside of that. This group will look at, at like, wedding vows, the, uh, the I do, uh, as, you know, it, it, it's, it's an intention that may or may not work for the future and for the long term. It's an intention that may or may not work. And these guys really make a heartfelt commitment to Christ. They'll do that until something happens. I have to choose between 
following Christ closely or, or that job promotion and what that means in my, in my life. I have to choose it between having this relationship and what God is calling me to. When push comes to shove, the default is to what I want rather than what Christ wants. And that last one is a Christian worldview. It's, it's the kingdom worldview. And it's distinct. It's very different. It says that commitment to Christ is bigger than my life or my lifetime. And that's important to know. It's bigger than my life and bigger than my lifetime. Truth works and prevails because it's true, even though it may not prevail in my lifetime, even though if I stand on the truth, it may cost me my life. Nevertheless will I believe and nevertheless will I follow. This, this life, this worldview is transformed by Christ. I'm not trying to fit Jesus into, into what I want him to be. I'm trying to go where he is. That's what this world is about. We're going to spend the rest of the morning talking about what that looks like and, and what having a, a kingdom worldview, what it actually means. Because it's where we're called to as Christ followers. It's what we're supposed to be about. Life's not just about us as individuals. It's not just about what I want. It's not just about what I'm passionate about. It is about our commitment to God's greater purpose and the coming kingdom of God. And that flies in the face of the other worldviews. It's very, very different. It's like other religions are always telling you, God's on the mountaintop and you've got to work really, really hard to get up there. So you do the right thing and you follow the right path and, and you, make the, you, you climb that mountain to the best of your ability and you earn your way and, and maybe at the end of it you'll get to the top of the mountain because that's where God is. And Christianity says, yeah, God's on the top of the mountain and guess what he did? He came down. He said, no, you don't climb the mountain. I'm going to come to you. And he did. Salvation by grace through faith. It's why those secular guys don't get us. Salvation by grace through faith. But when that happens to us, something else happens inside of us. You cannot come in contact with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and not be changed. You can't. He changes us from the inside out. So we don't fit Jesus in, in our world. We go where Jesus is. God in, in Arbor Point right now is, for whatever reason, I got a phone call from uh, a team mom for the, foot, for the Jackson County football team that said, hey, if, if y'all would, would feed the team, 90 kids and eight coaches, she said 54 the first, at first, which I didn't think was a problem. Then <laughs> it turned into 90 pretty quick after that. Doesn't matter, right thing to do, right? Because the rest of that story is, she said, if you'll do that, then, you know, you can come and you can tell them about Arbor Point. You can tell them about your youth program. You can tell them about what's going on. I'm in. I don't know how we'll pay for it. I don't know what it's going to cost, but we'll figure that part out. So we're going to do the team meal for their senior day uh, game against Hart County and in October. God is doing a work here. He's, VBS, we had, you know, 28 kids, about twice what we thought we were actually going to have, and God sent twice what we thought. Because God's a big God. God's doing a work with youth around here. So we want to go 
where God is moving. It's not super complicated if we're aware, if we're paying attention, right? God is moving. So we're going to reach out to schools. We're going to support the teachers that are working with, with these youth and kids. And by the way, if you've got an idea about how we can do this stuff, bring it. Bring it. We want to be about the business that God would have us to be about in this place. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. To act justly. It doesn't say to believe in justice. To act justly. Our actions show what we really value. Talking about being value-based. Our actions will speak to that. You can say anything you want to say. I believe in Jesus Christ and it has no impact on my life. You may believe that Jesus Christ uh, exists, but you are not following Jesus Christ. Because he asks us things of us if we're true followers of who he is. It's an action, right, Corey? That's right. Love is an action. This was from VBS. It's on the wall over here, too. Teaching the kids that love is, an, it's why we can love anybody, because it's a commitment to see somebody better off for having known us. That's what love, that's at its core what love is. And if I'm committed to seeing you better off, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, it does, none of that stuff matters, then I don't even have to like you. I can love you. You don't have to like somebody to love them. It's one of those fallacies that the world's trying to sell you, that you have to agree with everything about me or else that you're something wrong with you. You hate me. Wrong. I don't even have to like you at all, and I can love you. And I can be committed to seeing you better off for having known me. You can do that too, because that's what we're called to do as Christ followers. Walk humbly with our God. Be humble enough to not think that you know it all. Because guess what? You don't. I don't. We're not supposed to. Walk humbly. Act justly. Love mercy. Powerful passage when we live it out. Love God. Love others. Love yourself. Some of y'all need that word this morning. Love yourself. Okay? You feeling unloved this morning? Somebody in here, I don't know who it is. It's, it, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that that love that God's talking about is for you. Maybe that's me that needs to know that this morning. It's an unbelievable love. Love is an action. We see it in the cross, right? Love God is the center, the pole in the middle, and love uh, our neighbor as, as ourself is the cross beam. Jesus gave us the cross to remind us of the two great commandments. You know, this thing about action is critical. I mean, you read about it in the New Testament. You've read the book, The Intentions of the Apostles, right? No? The beliefs of the apostles, that's what it's called. It's not, what? What? It, what? Oh, the acts of the apostles. Oh, yeah, it's 
acts of the apostles. You mean even in the New Testament, action is important? Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of Arbor Point. And don't get me wrong, you know, there's a tension here between Paul and you're saved by, faith, by grace through faith and James, works, <laughs> faith without works is dead. Those things are here in that tension that we talk about in the church. Tension is okay, it's a good thing because if, if, if all I'm about is faith, the, the faith and grace piece, then maybe I'm not active. But if all I'm about is action, then I'm earning and it ain't about earning. Those two worlds, those two theological concepts come together and give us Christianity. You're saved by grace through faith. Absolutely. Your salvation is not because of you. Not a thing you did to earn it. The, your part was, was yes. You said yes. That's your part. I don't have to earn it? No. So I don't have to do anything? Now hang on. Because faith without works is dead. We need those things together to help us to live out what it means to be a Christian. I wish I had done a slide for this because in my head I can see it, but you might not be able to. Which is a good thing because you're not in my head. <laughs> so you have a, a, a kingdom worldview. It, it, trust me on that. You don't want nothing to do with what's going on inside of my head. Um, Having a kingdom worldview allows us to elevate God's perspective above our own, because that's what we're supposed to do, elevate God's perspective. Now, I want you to try to picture this. So can you see the world? Big circle, it's the world. And we as Christians are in the world, but not of the world, right? So put another circle inside of that. Now, in those two circles, there is a place where the two worlds collide, right? At the fringes, at the margins, of the Christian circle is where the, there, there, there is a place where it meets with the, with the world and, and our earth, and that's where we need to be. That's where ministry and mission needs to be. That's where it happens. Is at, that's where Jesus went. He went to that place. He met with people at the edges and the fringes where the church and the world exist or where they collide. So that's where we need to be as the body of Christ. It's what we're called to do and the place we need to be. What tends to happen in the church, we get into this, into our world, that, that, center, that center bubble, and, and instead of staying at the fringes, we start to gravitate to the center of the Christian world, right? And pretty soon, we, we don't have contact with with the world. We don't have contact with folks in the world. We end up here in, the, in this comfortable place where all my friends are Christians, everybody that I hang out with is Christian, and I don't have any contact with folks who are still out there, who, with people who are lost. Because there's a whole bunch of people out there who are lost. And if, if, we're, if we end up in that center place, and we never get back to the edges, then we are not fulfilling what Jesus said to do when he said, go and make disciples. So we've got to work our way. We come here, guess what? This morning, hopefully, we've moved away from the edge for a moment to get to the center so that we can come together, get a breath, and go, whew, boy, I'll tell you what, this week the world's been beating on me. 
I need to come together with y'all so that we can, let's do a little bit of celebrating, praising, thank you, Jesus. Let's, you know, did you know that this whole place, this sanctuary, the other, the other office, the grove, all of that stuff is here for the purpose of equipping you, preparing you, hopefully inspiring you so that you can go. Not so that you can hang out with nothing but other Christians, but so that you can go and be active in the world and live this thing out and show people who Jesus is in your life. And if you'll do that, then you can come back next week and go, man, the world beat me up again. (laughs) Mike, play something good. (laughs) We need that refreshing, but it's not all about us. See all these empty seats? Every empty seat represents somebody in the world who's lost. Every one of them who needs the touch of Jesus. How many did you invite this week? Uh Uh-oh, I did it again. (laughs) Invite. Come on now. You've been here longer than me. Connect. Reach. What is it again? Tell me, I'm the new guy. Invite, connect, reach, right? Did you know what invite means? It ain't complicated and I'm not being difficult. Well, I might be being difficult, but I'm not being complicated. Invite folks. They may not come. I've been inviting people and not a single one of them come. Keep inviting them. That's all right. They don't have to come. Your job's not to drag them here. All right, you're going to come to Arbor Point this week, I'm telling you. (laughs) No. Invite them. Just tell them what's going on. Tell them about VBS. My goodness. 28 kids had an awesome time. Check out our Facebook page. You can see some videos of them dancing and, and carrying on. Tell them what's going on. You're going to love the music. You're going to love what God is doing. And let me tell you what we're doing with the schools. And let me tell you what we're doing with the high school. Tell them what's going on. And we're having a retro dance thing. (laughs) So that we can support our youth mission. Because they want to go to Puerto Rico next summer. Did you know that? They want to go to Puerto Rico next summer. We want to support them in that. So yeah. Yeah, we do fun stuff. We have a good time. The pastor is absolutely insane, and, and that's okay. <laughs> I got an amen. <laughs> Evangelism is a big, scary word, but it's not a big, scary thing. It's just share the way you talk about Last week, share the way you talk about your favorite football team with your people. Just talk the same way about Arbor Point, the same way about Jesus Christ. Tell folks what Jesus is doing in your life. That's what evangelism is. That's what, it, that's what it's about. There's a saying in uh, recovery that made no sense to me. <laughs> Actually, there were a lot of sayings in recovery early on that didn't make sense. But this one in, in, in particular says, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And I'm sitting here going, now, that makes absolutely no sense because by definition, if I give it away... I no longer have it. You can't keep it unless you give it away. Maybe you didn't hear me. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense to me. If I give it away, by definition, I no longer have it. 
Mike, shut up, sit down, keep coming back, and you can't keep it if you don't give it away. Eventually, I stopped focusing totally on me, and I started trying that. And as I worked with other addicts and alcoholics, as I gave away the things that God had given to me, I discovered me somewhere along that way. When I got out of myself and got into service, I learned all kinds of things about what it meant to live free in this world, what it meant to live as a Christian, what it meant to live as a, as a recovering person. I learned all that stuff. But I had to, one, trust somebody, even though it didn't make sense. I had to have faith. And I had to take action. And by doing those things, I'm here now. If I don't do those things, I'm not here now. God doesn't do the crazy, miraculous stuff that he's done in my life. He wants to do crazy, miraculous stuff in your life. Because that's who God is. Giving ourselves completely to God in some crazy, backwards, impossible to understand way allows us to find who we are as Christians and to live a life and we're promised this life of abundance and, 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 you know, being American, probably being human, but certainly being American, a life of abundance, you know, the first thing that jumps in most of our heads is stuff, right? That's not what Jesus was talking about. I have more friends now than I ever have had. I have more love than I ever had in my life. More people who support me, more surroundings, of more peace. And I've been through some stuff, just like you have. But I get to have peace in it. The loss of Mike Ford's not, that's tough. But because we, we have a couple of things. One, we know where he is, right? And we know we're going to get to see him again, right? And then I'll finally get to hear all these stories that y'all keep telling me about him. We have that, that faith, and that's part of the abundance that we have. We find ourselves in the giving. We find ourselves in the sacrifice, in the taking up of our cross daily. I don't know what your cross is, but take it up every day. There are people specifically that God has, wants you to be with. He wants to show who he is to them through you. And it's a cool thing. You don't have to be me, and that's good. And I don't have to be you, which is even better. So it's all good, right? Be you for him. You see that a lot on stuff that I, if you follow me on Facebook, you're going to see be you for him. Hashtag be you for him. One day at a time, one life at a time. One day at a time, one life. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today, one day at a time, one life at a time. Reach people for Jesus. Keep it simple. Pick up your cross, follow him. It's easy to profess faith, but it's quite another thing to pick up that cross and make a living sacrifice of yourself. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The kingdom of God is available to everybody, just as you are. Come, the kingdom worldview says, come as you are. 
for some reason, and some of it is the church and some of it is the people outside of the church, but the, the message out there now is, I've got to get better to go to church. And that is not true. It's backwards. Come as you are is the message of the church. Jesus' message, kingdom worldview message is, come as you are and be forever changed. That's Jesus. That's what he does. Come as you are. You don't have to get better before you come. But that message is out there. And when we're non-judgmental, we recognize that everybody has fallen short. Everybody. I have fallen short. You have fallen short. We all fall short. And yet God's love is there. God's love surrounds us. Meets us in that moment of need. Being, not, being that non-judgmental place, that imperfect, right? People can come imperfect when we do that. It allows people to come, and there's people that are broken and sick and needy, and, and they, need a, they need the touch of Christ. And we get to bring it to them. The church is not a club, in case you're wondering. We are an outpost in the world. We are an outpost in the world. My friend, um, Mark Ruiz, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I told you about, if you go back a slide, I think, Paul. Maybe one more. Mark is the one who had this statement. He was going through cancer. If you weren't here, uh, he, he has passed, but he was going through cancer, and he was battling it, and we would have conversations, and he, this is what he would say when he was thinking about something he was going through. He said, Mike, I, I asked myself this question. What is the eternal significance of whatever he was going through? And what that would do is it would reframe for him what he was going through. Because cancer, while it's a horrible, terrible thing, has no eternal significance for a believer. Gets us there a little earlier than maybe what we would like. So Mark would say, you know, this thing can't beat me. I, my eternity is secure. Mike Ford, his eternity is secure. And it's important to know what's eternal and what's not, right? What's this? This eternal? No. The rug? Chairs? Kit? Yeah. So perhaps we can be sure not to focus so much on the things that are not eternal so that we can be about the business of supporting one, one another in what is eternal. To have an eternal hope. I love that yesterday Brad Green, talking about Mike Ford, said he has an, an eternal hope, which is very cool. Amen. There are lots of folks who need Jesus. There is an eternity waiting for folks. We need to be available for that. There's a friend, a, a friend of mine, and she's actually at, her name's Billy Joe. And Billy Joe's a mess. Just let me start out by saying Billy Joe is bipolar, uh, semi-recovering, recovering, um, flighty. She's a wonderful human being. 
And she came in to see me one day during the week, and she told me this story. She said, my, I came home from church today to find my neighbor at my doorstep waiting on me. She was high as a kite on crystal meth, crying, broken, and severely lost. She explained to me that earlier in the week, defects came and took her and her sister's children away for the second time. Her father is in ICU in Gwinnett Medical with internal bleeding from all the years of drinking and drugging. She didn't ask for money or for food. She didn't ask anything of me except to pray with her. She said she had finally hit rock bottom. She said if there was anyone in the cul-de-sac who could get Jesus' attention, it would be me. I was quick to correct her and let her know that she had more of Jesus' attention than I did. I asked her if she knew the Lord within her heart. She said, no. I said, would you like to? And she said, yes, but I don't know how. So there we were on my doorstep, kneeling on cold, hard concrete, praying, hugging, crying, and asking for forgiveness and guidance. She accepted Christ into her heart, praised Jesus. After things settled, she asked if she could use my phone. She went to call Summit Ridge. She went to Summit Ridge. And then Billy Joe said, I don't pretend to know if she will actually sign herself in. I pray she does. I don't know if she'll ever get clean and sober. I'm praying she will. I do know from experience that it will be a long, hard road for her if she chooses to do right. She is in need of our prayers like nobody's business, and her name is Tiffany. Tiffany came out of treatment and relapsed. Um, she was actually hit by a car walking beside the road um, not long after that, and she ended up in Grady, and then I lost track of what happened to Tiffany. But here's the thing. Even if she had passed away, because a church member in a, in a neighborhood, in a cul-de-sac, was available to somebody else in that cul-de-sac. Tiffany has an eternity in front of her that she would not have had. Because that's the grace part. That's the grace part. Now, you're not going to hear me preach a lot of sermons. In fact, you won't hear me any probably ever preach about a, a sermon that's aimed to scare anybody into believing. So you don't go to hell, the sermon. I don't think that kind of message leads to the intimate, passionate, personal relationship that God wants with us. I think that leads to a dutiful obedience to God because I'm a, I'm, I believe in God because I'm scared of this. But I, don't, I think that's half of what God wants for us. I think that's the Pharisee part of what God wants for us. Because those folks miss the more important stuff, the Mary part, the Mary at the feet of Jesus part. Martha's in the kitchen, Mary's at the feet of Jesus. God desires to be in each of our lives because of his great love for us. Not just because he's all-powerful. He desires us to be dutiful and obedient because of that love. Not because of fear. We need to revere who God is. But not be scared into his presence. It's also necessary to give us a choice. That's why he gives us the opportunity to say no. Because if you don't have the opportunity to say no, the invitation doesn't really have much meaning. Make no mistake, Jesus taught about heaven 
and hell. He taught that hell was a place of eternal separation from God. That it is a place of pain and suffering. And that's what hell is. And then we get to choose whether or not we, where we want to go with that. See, God showers us with love so that we're not bound up in that. He, we needed the choice. If you're going to have a choice, you need to know which, which is here and which is here. And then you get to choose. He offers the gift of eternal life, the gift of his presence in the midst of this life, love, He offers all of that. He offers it to you this morning. Now, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, I think that you saw the prayer a minute ago, it's easy enough to remedy that. So if you'll bow, if we'll all bow. You can pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it on your own. Lord, I know that I've fallen short in my life. That I've sinned against you. And I confess that to you now. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for you to extend your grace to me. I believe that you came to this earth, lived as a man, that you suffered and died and that you rose again. I accept your offer of salvation. I accept you as my Savior. I ask for your Spirit to lead me and guide me all the days of my life. Amen. If you said that prayer aloud or to yourself, it doesn't end in that place. It's only the beginning place. Please speak with me. You can come up to during the time the altar is open during the, the last songs always grab me afterwards shoot me an email give me a call because here's the thing is the journey begins from that point but you've got to we, we do it together if you try to do it alone you'll end up you'll end up falling because that's the nature of trying to walk as a Christian alone let me close with this God can't steer a parked car. Did you know that? Are you a parked car? You don't go very, get anywhere, do you? God can't steer a parked car. God's looking for people who will take their lives out of park and put it in drive. Get moving down the road. Will we make some wrong turns? Yeah. But his GPS is better than ours, and ours isn't bad, so... An easy way to remember who's supposed to be where is that final point, right? If God is your co-pilot, get out of the seat. See, when we take on a kingdom worldview, he is the one who's driving, not us. So those four things. Know what you value. Well, I'll let you read them. They're up there. 
you know, after I turned the slides in and did the thing, that, you know, the, the, the thing that's been impressed upon me more than anything else out of all of the information this morning. I know I'm a little heavier on information this morning. Go where Jesus is. Men and women with a kingdom worldview go where Jesus is. Men and women who don't have a kingdom worldview go where they want to go. And they hope to bring Jesus with them, even if they believe. Go where Jesus is.